welcome back to the Crash the Phone podcast, and with that, welcome back to the Anaheim Ducks season. I'm jumping in real quick. I think you changed your mic setting, and I think you are now pulling in your incorrect microphone. Oh, crap. I didn't change a damn thing. That's so weird. Well, you sound very far away, so this is a fun start to the podcast. Wow, that is brutal. Okay, let let me start over. Okay, how about now? Now you sound great. There we go. This is a great start. Wow, that's brutal. Okay, anywho, so welcome back. Duck season is upon us. We're so excited that we are messing up auto settings. That is trippy. I did not change anything. Like, literally didn't <laughs> you, click you, anything, didn't do any. I, that is the most bizarre. You sounded fan, You sounded fantastic before we went live. Yeah, like, I just, I didn't even touch the settings. That is technology conspiring in very bizarre ways, new and creative ways. Technology is um, out to get us. But yeah, so this is this is an exciting podcast. We're both kind of amped up because yeah. we have real Ducks hockey to talk about. Yep. We have so much to get into. We're going to hit it all. But before we do that, I do want to let people know that we have officially hit YouTube partner status. And so what that means essentially is that if you are watching this live on YouTube, you can submit, I think it's called a super Super comment? chat. Super, super chat. chat super chat and so if you do that we will first off we greatly appreciate it but secondly we will prioritize your question and essentially we will drop everything and just get to it right away so if so if you're on youtube you're listening to this watching this live throw in a super chat if you want we would appreciate it but also we will prioritize your question over over everything so it's a great way to support us it's a great way to get your burning questions answered and uh should be a lot of fun i'm enjoying our foray into youtube thus far yeah yeah, you dropped another video on the weekend. Yeah, a little content drop. You know, might may or may not be another one this week. Uh, what we shall see. But it's been a lot of fun. We got the shorts going up there. We've been enjoying really all the great feedback we've gotten on YouTube. The YouTube community has really shown out for us, and we really appreciate that. We probably should have started giving YouTube more attention uh, long before, but that's okay. Circling back to the Ducks, though. Two games this weekend, one loss, one win. And it's just, I don't even really know where to start because there's so much excitement. There's so much to pick out at. Should we start with the Vegas game? Should we start with the Carolina game? To Let's, me, the, the the Carolina game is fresh in my mind, but I could yeah. see maybe starting with Vegas. We should we should start chronologically and just want to give a yeah. shout out. Uh, Zuzle gave us their first super. So oh. a $2 super. So thank you so much for that. No question. Just a, a super, uh, wow. su- super chat. Thank you. Um, or wait, no, here it is. Uh, go Ducks, but how are you guys? I'm doing fantastic. This is a great question. I'm I'm surviving. I'm in survival mode, but, you know, survive and thrive. Let's just say I felt things watching last night's game <laughs> that I don't think I felt watching Ducks hockey in in a while. At least two seasons. Def- I, w- there, yeah. there were, I don't know if there was any moment like last night, last season. Uh, yeah, I will say that watching last night's game... Because I, I watched it, like, I watched the last five minutes live, which I feel like you always get more emotion watching it live. And I definitely felt that kind of emotional drive that we just didn't get at all the last year, maybe even the last, I don't know how many years, to be honest. Especially seeing Greg Cronin, you know, getting his first win as an NHL coach and if you, as an NHL head coach. And if you haven't already, there was a really good interview that Alexis Downey did with Greg Cronin on, I think it's the Behind the Bench podcast. Yes. And, Man, Greg Cronin's life story fascinating. Like, I don't 
I don't say this lightly. Like, I think it's inspiring. Like the, the amount of adversity that he's been through, his perspective on life, like you said, fascinating. And he's 60 years old. Like he doesn't really look it. Like he looks really good for yeah. his age. Um, but he's 60 years old. He's been in hockey coaching for this entire millennium and before that. And this is his very first crack at a head coaching gig. And I think you could kind of feel it in his voice in that interview that he kind of felt like, this is probably something he should have gotten longer ago. He would never say that though. But to see him, you know, have that moment with Trevor Zegris behind the bench once the buzzer went off, just savoring the victory, the big smile on his face, the smile on Zegris's face, like just starting there, like it, it goes to your point. The, the the positive emotion, the good vibes are are back at Honda Center. Yeah. Yep. And so I think with that, let's just start jumping into the games. The first game was uh, Saturday for the Ducks against the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, so, you know, my kind of high-level thoughts on this game yeah. are, ju are just the fact that, you know, this was in part what we expected from the Ducks, I think, in, in their first game against yep. a Vegas team that had already played and really just two completely different teams from a big-picture perspective as well. You have the Ducks who are just now installing their systems, you know, are figuring out their personnel, a new team, against the reigning defending Stanley Cup champions who... They are what they are at this point. And they're playing, I think it was their home opener for Vegas. Could no. Could be wrong about that? No, no, no. Okay. It was not. It was just, it was just Vegas, a party before the Correct. game. Yeah. <laughs> so they came out hot. And I think that the big difference to me in this game for the Ducks, despite the fact that they lost 4-1, to one, that they got outshot 38-23, to 23, is that it didn't look and it didn't feel like previous Ducks games where they go into that hostile environment in Las Vegas and get just kind of run out of the building. Yes, they were under siege. Yes, the Vegas Golden Knights got the better of them. But I think that the Ducks showed just kind of breadcrumbs of, I think, what they're trying to be this season. They they gave a different kind of fight than we've seen in, in years past in this matchup. Yeah, and I think that there's something I was trying to really highlight on Twitter because I think depending on where you look, there were some people that were kind of down on the game just as a result of, well, they lost another game. They allowed a bunch of goals. They only scored one goal. Kind of, it, it's the same shit, different year, right? But I think when you dive into the numbers for this game, you really see a different picture for this Ducks team. And specifically when looking at Vegas, uh, at games against Vegas, sure, the Ducks did not have the uh, more expected goals than Vegas did in this game, but they held their own at five on five in a way that we really haven't seen them nope. do in Vegas. Um, and the fact that they were, were pretty much keeping Vegas at bay for the most part, especially in the first and second period at five on five Vegas, I think played a bit better in the third period, but that's going to happen when Vegas was playing what their third or fourth game of the season ducks are in their first game. And I think overall you'll take a 46% expected goal share against a Vegas team. When this is the ducks first game of the season, brand new system missing a full forward line. We'll get into that a little bit more, but they're missing uh, Brock McGinn. They're missing uh, Leo Carlson. They're missing Alex Kalorn. That is a full forward line where every single one of those players is better than the, a per, than the entire bottom six. Like yeah. they all jump into the lineup over anyone in that bottom six. And so the fact that they were able to do that and keep it competitive, play well at five on five, I think is a massive, massive improvement for this franchise, for this team, for, for a lot of things. I think if you want to look at the only downside from this game, it was really just discipline. And I think from a good and bad bad side of it is it's frustrating because if they clean that up, I mean, what? It was two of the goals Vegas had were on the power play? 
it's a much tighter game and they really have a chance to do something in that game and win some game win the game but it's also from the perspective of teachable moments learnable moments fixing discipline is actually somewhat it's i guess easier said than done but it's much easier to fix than a system issue right it is yeah. players just controlling themselves, not going out of the way. Sam Carrick had a god-awful game from that perspective, from the five-minute major to yeah. a, a hooking call later in the game where he got the guy's hand from behind in the offensive zone on the four-check. Like, they were just taking really bad penalties. Labushkin took a bad penalty. Ross Johnston took a bad penalty. They were just putting themselves behind the eight ball at so many different points throughout the game by taking these dumb penalties. And it was frustrating, but also... I think those are very correctable mistakes. Yeah. And, and a, a, oh, sorry, go ahead. And, and so from the perspective of you're looking at the five on five play as being a big step forward and the major downside were these correctable mistakes. And I think that is a major plus for this team. Yeah. And I think that to your point about the penalties, one key thing to note there is that I didn't really feel like a lot of these penalties were because, you know, a lot of the times you can say, oh, well, if they just didn't take penalties, but by the other, on the other hand, though, it's hey, they were taking penalties because they were getting outplayed. Yeah, they were they were hemmed in, and this game, it didn't totally feel like that. It just felt like a lot of unforced errors. It felt like a lot of just kind of dumb penalties. And yeah, you know, part of it too is if you're hemmed in and you're under siege, you know, you're not going to be as mentally sharp because you're more desperate. But it just didn't feel that way. And you know, like going back to like for example, Vegas's first goal. I mean, it's at the very end of the first period. And to me, like, there's not really a whole lot to take away there except Radko Gudis getting beat one-on-one -on -one in space, probably misplays that one-on-one -on -one with, with Jack Eichel, but it's Jack Eichel doing Jack Eichel things, walking in all alone on John Gibson and just, you know, deking him out and, and potting in an empty net. Like, it's just those kind of things where I don't think that that's a scenario where the Ducks are getting outplayed and just getting undressed. It's just a great player making a great play yep. with maybe one fatal mistake on, on that play overall. Like I don't really, I think Radko needs to play that better, but it's not, it's not like a total system failure essentially. Correct. And yeah, I mean the Ducks overall took eight penalties for 22 penalty minutes. That includes Carrick with a fight um, on the night. But yeah, I mean, a lot of just unforced errors. And I think that's kind of the point you're at from Carrick's elbowing major to yep. Labushkin for an interference, Ross Johnston kneeing, uh, Max Jones, the roughing was actually wiped out by Colasar getting four for roughing. And that was a different situation. Uh, Vetrano holding Carrick hooking. Like those yeah. are all correctable mistakes. And also the, the Carrick major, like I don't want to excuse uh, Sam Carrick because at the end of the day, you're responsible for your actions on the ice, but it was, bang bang ish in terms of the way that that play shook out the way that i forget who he hit kind of fell right McNabb. as he was McNabb right as he was coming after him like i don't think it was a malicious play or anything no. like that yeah, no it wasn't I, malicious I think it was just like a, a bad result kind of bad timing yeah it was a but, major it was a five minute major but it yeah. wasn't it wasn't the intent wasn't to take his head off yeah no and and you know there was some debate about that call and i think that it was clearly a like if you read the elbowing rule and the major rule, especially like that fit it to a T essentially. Yep. I think what, what's kind of interesting is, you know, I guess because it's an elbow, they, they look to the elbow rule first, but I was curious why they didn't even rule like, 48. Yeah. Like why was that not at play? Cause the yeah. funny thing is I think that rule 48 actually comes out differently there, but you know, we, we can, we yep. can get into that later. Second goal of the night though, in the second period, this is one that's a little rougher for me in terms of the overall breakdown 
you know, it's it's just a regroup in the Vegas zone. They sense a, a change from Anaheim's perspective. And this is in the long change period. And that can be very costly if the other team catches you on that. Vegas enters the zone and Chandler Stevenson just kind of sneaks into the slot. Adam Henrique does not pick him up in time. Pavel Matukov's kind of left to his own devices. And then John Gibson kind of just freezes. You know, I don't know if he misreads the play, but gets over, kind of stalls out and... Stevenson just has to deposit the puck into an empty net. And again, it's like a late period snafu where I think there was a little more issues to work out, but still not something where I'm thinking, oh, the team is just, these are already troubling signs, so to speak. No, correctable mistake, second period, long change. Um, and it's just a bad change as a result of that. The one thing that stuck out to me there was John Gibson did not play that well no. at all. No, and optically did, not great. Either did not read it correctly and just bit hard on the shot and or just didn't try. Either way, not great overall, though. Yeah, no, it wasn't great. And then, you know, Vegas would score again on the power play in the third period. You know, we don't need to go over each goal from Vegas, yeah. but I, I do want to highlight Mason McTavish's goal. Yep. And this, this is a theme that we're probably going to get into more with the Carolina game, but... Mason McTavish, Ryan Strom, and Frank Vertrano have looked great together. Mm -hmm. And on that play, it's really just Mason McTavish driving to the net, picking up a loose puck, and and depositing that that loose change. And, I mean, Mason McTavish, to me, again, we'll get into it more, but he just looks... He looks He, he looks good. Like, he looks like a beast. Like, And I, I was... I kind of saw that in the preseason, too. It just didn't really manifest itself into, like, production or score-driving plays. But he just looks bigger... He looks faster. He looks stronger. Like he just looks ready to to take that next step physically. It feels like there's almost more intent when he's out there. Yeah, if that makes any sense. And yeah. so I, I think he's just because I, I think when he came in or when he was drafted, right? It, it was right after Matty Beniers, and Matty Beniers was tagged as this uh, transition monster, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of Mason McTavish was almost the next best thing in a certain way, comparing himself, comparing to, to Matty Beniers. He was like that, but a little bit different. And, and I think what we saw last year wasn't necessarily that transition monster, right? The guy yeah. that's going to take the puck from the defensive zone, transition to offense and really create the offense as he goes there. And I think what we're seeing from these first two games is that if this continues, he definitely is, is, is going down that road of becoming a transition monster. Yeah. And it's interesting because if you go back and look at his tracking data from last year, yeah, he didn't. He did not grade out very well at all in terms of his zone entries per sixty. So in terms yep. of volume, not good. But above average in his controlled entry percentage. So when he was entering the zone, he was doing it with control often, and that kind of checks out to me because Mason McTavish, he's really good. Like I think he kind of does the same things as, as Maddie Beniers, but accomplishes it in a different way. Like he's much more of a give and go guy, quick plays, use mm-hmm. your teammates to create leverage, and I think. Again, we'll talk about it with Carolina, but they've really mastered that, already mastered that kind of give and go zone entry on that line. So he looks different. This game felt different. It was a, it was still a loss. Like I don't want to make it sound like it was a win. Like there's no moral victories, but the Ducks to me just showed a, a different level of polish, especially defending in zone. You know, if I go back to that first period, where again you look at the over, just the overarching numbers. You know, they were out. Shot attempted, expected goals were not in their favor. But if you watch the play, when the Golden Knights were controlling in, in the Ducks zone, a lot of it was to the outside. The Ducks were really protecting that middle of the mm-hmm. ice. 
And when the Golden Knights did get opportunities from the middle, a lot of the times it was just like second opportunity scrambles, rebounds in front. It wasn't like, hey, there's a guy wide open in the slot because there was a breakdown. The, the Ducks do a really good job of just being super aggressive on the perimeter and then allowing yep. that to protect the middle. Yeah, it reminds, and- it, it, remi- it reminds me a lot of how the Islanders play to be quite honest and and, i mean that kind of goes to the man-to-man defensive zone structure that greg cronin is trying to implement there and it requires the guys to really buy in and and really have the conditioning basically to keep up in the defensive zone with their guy and not lose their man lose their gap on that those guys and we really saw that for the most part in the d zone i think there were some times where they got a little bit tired and maybe that's the only downside on a long shift is it's hard to keep that up and that's where some of the breakdowns had come but I think overall, especially from the defenseman perspective, all the defensemen I think really played well outside of, I think the only one that I really did not like the game of in this first game was Ilya Labushkin. I think Pavel Minchukov held himself very well in this game. Yeah. I think we'll get to his next game where I think he was an absolute superstar. And I think Jackson Lacombe just, I think continues to just be so, yeah. so impressive. I like the fact that I think people were wondering if he was locked into the NHL role or were questioning what type of defenseman he was going into the season. I think all that is just thrown out the window now. This this guy's an NHLer. I don't yeah. think there's any question about it. He looks so natural at, in, at this level and is one of the best defensemen on the team at this point. Yeah, and that's not even a... That's not even that's a... That's not hey, a shot. He's not like the best of the worst or anything. Like He, he looked like that in preseason... And in the preseason, it was kind of tough because, you know, you don't want to go too far and say, oh, like he's he's arrived or blah, blah, because of the competition. But it looks the same. Like, it's not perfect. You know, he has his moments like like we were saying, they were under siege against Vegas. But he just looks so physically mature to me, like the way he moves. It's so graceful. He's so just kind of aware on the ice and. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot else to say about this game, honestly. <laughs> uh, I don't either. I think Drysdale Fowler as a pair works really, really well in this game, and I just want to mention that because I think there are question marks around them, and some people would have said, no, you should never pair those players together. More yeah. so of the old guard view of things, of need to have yeah. a, a big heavy uh, with one of, with both <laughs> either with Drysdale or with Fowler. And, I mean, that just goes to show in the modern-day NHL, having two puck movers works really well because you get the puck back, transition it out. And Dreisel and Fowler both ended up on the uh, above the 50% line. Um, I, I think that one of the... I know now we're just kind of mentioning a lot of players. We haven't really mentioned Zegris or Terry at all, but they had really nice games. Yeah. I think they, they generated a lot of chances for, and they, were, they really did not have much going against them the other way. And even though they did not score in that game uh, as a line... They generated, I think, the uh, most high-quality chances for the team throughout the game and just were a little snake bit to to not be able to pot one. I mean, Zegris was, uh, I think, had a wide-open shot in front of the net and just missed a little bit. Um, and there was another one. I th- can't remember who took the shot, but they were on the ice, and um, Brett Leeson had a nice tip, and I think Terry was almost able to find the rebound and put it in the back of the net. And so I, I just think that... Some people may be saying, well, where, is Zegris and, where have Zegris and Terry be, uh, been so far? And I think they've been fantastic. Yeah. No, I have a lot to say about Zegris in the Carolina game. Okay. So the first thing I want to highlight with this Carolina game is the jerseys. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> they, they look great. They, they just were, do. Yeah. I, I think that a lot of people are going to be eating crow that were critical <laughs> of these jerseys. And way back when, remember what I said. 
Just wait till they get on the ice. Yeah. Wait, wait till you see the finished package and everyone's going to be ooing and aahing about them. Yeah, the colors look great. It just feels like a cohesive uniform. It, it represents the team's history. Yep. And you just love to see that plum color. God damn it. You had to do it. You had to <laughs> do it. Up. Set you up. Did you hear? you? I don't think you you didn't watch live, so you wouldn't have watched any of the, the pregame or anything like that. No. Guilla Bear called it eggplant. Good on him. Eggplant yeah. truther. Yep. Yep. Get that egg. Get that I, he said, you, you call it plum. I call it eggplant. He said that? Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. I mean, Love Gee. They're definitely trying to like. They're I getting forget. away because of the eggplant emoji. I forget what the term is, but like they're kind Euphemism? of rewriting. They're trying to like kind of rewrite history a little oh, bit. They're gaslighting us. Oh, is it retcon? Is that what it oh, is? Oh, that's they're, what, that's they're what you're retconning. Going for. Like they're going back in time and changing like yes. this word. And, yes. And uh, I mean, it is what it is. I don't like. I don't particularly care. I will note though that my mom was watching the game and. Her first observation as someone who knows nothing about this debate was, oh, that's an eggplant color, which if a neutral, like just know nothing observer would say that about the color, maybe just call it what it is. But, you know, I think the worst uh, offense, though, was John Aller saying plum and teal. Yeah, you, you like plum is one thing, like whatever. I, I know you don't want the, the, the jokes about the eggplant thing, but teal is the shark's color they literally it's, call it, themselves it is team not teal. teal it is not teal it is eggplant and, yeah, and jade it's not and jade sounds cool like, yeah they, they own that i don't calling it calling it teal is way worse yeah for sure i mean they're both dumb but yes yeah well one is dumber than the other and sure okay but moving into the game though yeah that's probably enough uh, jersey talk for a little while now but looked great right on the ice oh wait really quickly before we get into the game yep. the gloves are such a nice touch the yeah. jade, the jade fingertips. I was not expecting that. Yeah, like the teal, before, the teal fingers look great. Oh god damn it! <laughs> yeah, <sighs> they look great. But jumping into the game, though, I mean, there's there's so much to pick out. Like it's it's almost too much. But I'll just yep. I'll I'll just go with the goals. The goals kind of give us a nice chronology. Um, Sam Carrick on that first goal. Like I thought there was a lot of good process where it's you know first off Ross Johnston winning a, a board battle. He's a member of the Ducks, by the way, for those who missed that waiver claim. Ugh. And then and then Brett Leeson making a really nice play of getting in as that kind of second man, fighting the puck out, and then just a nice little backhand, almost no-look pass over to Sam Carrick, who gets it on his own backhand and then has the presence of mind to just whip it on net, high, t- you know, top left corner. Just a really nice play from those three. Like, I... I know that you're not the biggest Ross Johnston guy, nope. but I but Carrick Johnston and Leeson to me in that game looked like just a solid fourth line. You know, nothing amazing, nothing you know fantastic, but they just looked you know functional. To be clear, I actually think Carrick and Leeson are fine. Yeah, it is replacing Ross Johnston with a viable NHLer is a much better solution <laughs> to it. Someone that can actually receive a puck in the neutral zone and not bobble it and lose it right away. Um, but I. I so Patrick, uh, New Era Ducks on Twitter, absolutely amazing follows. Been putting out really cool threads, highlighting a bunch of things uh, from the games with kind of systems breakdown. He's been on this podcast before with you and Derek. Um, go give him a follow. But he made this comment that Brett Leeson needs better line mates because the work that he's doing pulling pucks off the boards yeah. is setting up really dangerous looks and giving him better line mates will be able to take advantage of that. And I think Leeson has looked fantastic. He looked great in preseason. He's looked great in these first two games. 
And this goal was set up by him pulling that puck off the boards and finding Carrick in soft space. I mean, I think he's fine next to Sam Carrick. I think it's I think that comment is more about Ross Johnson, but that could just like I don't think you're moving Brett Leeson up to like probably not the second or third line. Um, but picture if you did. Yeah, I mean, he he can be effective anywhere in the lineup, I think, at this yeah. point. And yep. that is a huge step from where he was last year. Yep. Um, second goal of the game, Frank Vetrano, his first goal of the night. And this was a really interesting play to me because, you know, Cam Fowler with the zone entry, but then Jamie Drysdale getting the puck at the blue line. You know, he's he's basically right at the top of the zone between the circles. And to me, this is a scenario where in a lot of seasons past, a lot of games past, Jamie Drysdale just kind of rings that puck on net without even looking. And here he had the presence of mind to just kind of take that extra look, get it over to Vetrano, get a little cross ice motion going in that right circle. And, you know, it's, I don't want to call it a lucky goal, but it's, it's not a great goal. For, it is not. It's not a great goal for Ranta. I think it was to, to give up, but at the same time that, that pre-shot movement, I think that that did affect the play a little bit because Ranta has to come out then he has to get back, readjust, and come over. Like that is that is still difficult movement for a goalie. Still should make the save, but I just like the thought process from Drysdale there. You know, arguably maybe he should have shot it, or maybe he should have kept going. But I just like that he's looking to make that extra play now instead of just kind of blindly shooting it on net. Which yeah, he, he kind of did a little bit on the power play, but yeah, that's and fine. especially a shot like unscreened shot from the point like that, it's just going to be an easy save and probably just a turnover at the end of the day. Cause it's going to cause a face off and could just be a turnover as a result of that. Yep. So love to see it. I mean, Frank Vetrano, I don't think has ever seen a shot that he didn't like. <laughs> I, I think that that, that is one of my biggest takeaways from this early season, something that I kind of forgot about. And I think part of it is he was in the defensive zone so much last season that I forgot that anytime he's going to have the puck in the offensive zone, he's just shooting it. And that, that is what it is. And it, it did feel like his his shots were a little better timed and better selected in this game. I thought like it, they weren't kind of just play killing shots like they were kind of within a flow of like getting a pass or being in a good area. I think it part was a of little... it is they just had more offensive zone time in the, in the two games than they did for most of last season. But that's the thing is like as yeah. a shooter, you know, in a bad system where you're never you never have the puck in the ozone. Once you're there, it's like, all right, time to go get mine because yep. I mean, I may not be back here for another period. Yep. And, and here it's like now he's just in better spots and you're seeing that tendency actually be a positive. We'll see. It's just one game or two games, but thought it was interesting. And then just kind of going through the next couple things here. I mean, I want to point out Trevor Zegris in this game because I don't think yep. he got any. I don't think he got any points. Nope. Could be wrong about that. I didn't get any points. But I thought this was one of his better games that I've watched him play. Like, I thought that he was really strong along the boards. You know, there were times he got pushed around a little bit, but he was making plays off the boards. And I think that that's really truly what Pat Verbeek and co. want to see from him is more of an of an inclination to go into those dirty areas, get it out, and then create a play. Like, that's the next layer to his game because we all know he can create in transition. We all know he can create from the middle. But especially if he's going to be playing wing, wing can he create from areas that are far less advantageous and i thought in this game there were a couple instances where he would win a battle whether it was through just effort or body angle or physicality and then turn it into a centering pass or a shooting opportunity and you know it's small things that don't didn't show up on the scoreboard today but 
Yeah. I thought that this was a good Trevor Zegers game. Yeah. And I think even from a chance perspective, uh, expected goals, it was a quiet game. I think partially because probably those didn't result in any shots or uh, shot attempts or shots on net. They would have potentially been blocked. Yeah. But I, I think if you're trying to look at the positive side of it, even though they didn't get that many chances, both him and Terry, um, they weren't really on the ice for any dangerous looks against either. Yeah. And I think that that is what you want to see. And I think in a game, you'll take a game or two if, where Zegers and Terry are quiet. If also they're getting big minutes and the other team isn't able to do anything as long as you have other lines that are going. Yeah. Because that is what we saw in this game was Mason McTavish, Frank Vetrano and Ryan Strom were absolutely firing on all cylinders throughout this game. And it was four on four at the, the next goal, but it was just, I think a prime example of, mctavish and strome working so well with one another yeah yeah no they were fantastic which actually leads me to my next point before we take a quick break here but those three mctavish strome and and vetrano did a really good job of creating clean zone entries for themselves Mm -hmm. and a lot of the times it started off with a cross ice pass from the ducks own blue line to a player you know kind of a stretch guy who's at the opposite end at the offensive blue line, who's just kind of waiting there. And then you have the third forward coming in as kind of the drop option. And that second receiver waiting for it at the offensive blue line just kind of dumps it off to that trailer. And that creates an entry with speed. And they did that at least twice. Like it was very clear cut twice and they got scoring opportunities off of it. And so I thought that in transition, those three looked really uh, sharp, which I would not have predicted just judging from the preseason. And off the cycle, they look great. I mean, they were winning battles. Like, they got a goal off of it. But they were winning battles, getting the puck into the middle. Like, they, you know, it wasn't like, hey, this isn't, you're not going to mistake them for, like, a Kucherov point line or whatever. But they just looked like a very solid, functional second line. And to be honest, them being that is a huge game changer for this team. Yeah. Because... Seeing Vetrano McTavish Strom as being aligned to start the season, I kind of had flashbacks a bit to last season. I looked up the numbers, and it was not pretty. And granted, some uh, a smaller sample size at 70 minutes or so of those guys being on a line together. But I think it was like 20 or 30% expected goal share, like just really awful numbers as rough. a line. Very, very rough. Constantly caught in the D zone. And I remember it was early season, and it was just not working at all. Never got better. It never did. And so... If those three together can become a viable line that can really take pressure off Zegers and Terry, and if games where they're going to be quiet, because there will be games, especially playing against top opponents, where they're they're able to shut down Zegers and Terry. And if you get Vetrano McTavish-Strome playing a little bit of a different style and are able to capitalize on that, that opens up a whole lot of lanes. And if they have to adjust their matchups, that opens up lanes for Zegers and Terry. And that also opens a lot of things once Carlson and, and Kalorn come back and opens up a whole lot of options to create a whole lot of depth on this team. And it's something that I was not expecting us this week to be praising Vetrano and Strom this much after the season they've had. And if they no. can really turn themselves into these viable second top nine players, like actual top nine players, viable top six players, like it's a game changer for this team. And yep. if you want to go and see this team with these game changers on the ice and with this team playing great. Well, you can uh, go check out our friends at 714tickets.com. The hockey season is finally here. Whether you're a diehard fan or just looking for a night of exciting sports entertainment, uh, 714 Tickets has got you covered. But here's the best part. At 714 Tickets, we're not just about hockey. We've got tickets to all your favorite sports, 
concerts, and live events right at your fingertips. And the icing on the cake, this is a fantastic, fantastic icing on the cake. We don't charge you a single dime in taxes or fees. That's right. At 714 Tickets, what you see is what you get. No surprises at checkout. And with our user-friendly mobile app, booking your tickets is a breeze. You can browse, select, and secure your seats within minutes. Shop online at 714tickets.com. Call 714tickets or visit their office locate located right in front of Honda Center. Get 10% off when you shop online using code CTP. There you go. Great segue from Jake. Veteran, Thank you. Veteran Thank segue. You. Thank you. It was veteran, perfect. Veteran move. But... You yeah. want you want to start jumping into that goal though? You want to talk about that that goal, yeah. the one that everyone's going to be talking about? This might be the highlight of the night. Yeah, to be quite honest with you. Made me like, feel things. Yeah, so I mean to to kind of break it down, you know, Mason McTavish keeping the puck at the Ducks blue line or sorry, at, at the Hurricanes blue line. I think this was 4 on 4. Could yes. be mistaken about yep. that. Um but yep. Frank Vetrano was in in the box with but, Michael Bunting. But Lacombe with a great kind of play at the at the point to get it over to Ryan Strom. Lacombe then cuts in, gets a cross-ice pass to Pavel Mintukov, and Mintukov just deposits it into the empty net. But really, I think it's the the kind of trio play here for me of McTavish, Lacombe, and Mintukov. And I would say Lacombe maybe having the biggest hand in keeping this play alive, both at the point and in that little feathery, you know, forehand to backhand cross-seam pass to to pavel mintukov and oh by the way pavel mintukov getting his first nhl goal yeah. on that play i mean that's the future of ducks hockey right there yeah. mason mctavish drafted what third overall yep ja- jackson lacombe don't remember who he was drafted Second rounder. But, but he's he's graduated and pavel mintukov a 10th overall pick like this is it's happening in front of our very eyes and on that play you just you just saw it all come together in a beautiful way and you know one thing i want to point out is that like it looks like an easy goal from Intukov, but if you watch him off puck as that play is developing, he's managing the space because he because a lot of guys might just go straight to the net, and yeah. he kind of he kind of timed his approach to stay just far away enough. And you could argue how oh, maybe the Hurricanes should have covered him better, but I think he really managed the space in front of him, and that's not an easy thing to do. It just goes to show how polished he is, so young. But man, just what an what an exciting play! I actually want to go back even further on that play. Because I think okay. that entire thing off the face-off is just mm. fantastic. Patrick posted the video, so I rewatched it today. But off the face-off, McTavish wins it, finds uh, Strom right off the face-off, has a shot from the slot. Ranta makes a nice save. He gets the rebound. Ranta makes another nice save. Puck goes behind the net, and, um, and McTavish actually gets taken to the ice. And while he's on the ice, the puck turns over and is able to get up and get a piece of the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes defender oh, that was right. trying to come around the net, and it forces him to rim it around. And I think the puck ends up with uh, with Pavel Mitchukov, who then leaves it for McTavish, who has a guy on his hip, and has the wherewithal to essentially leave the puck on the blue line yeah. for Lacombe. And somehow keeps the puck in the zone as he's getting pushed out with the puck, and Lacombe picks it up, dro- drops it down to Strom, Strom gives it back, and then the amazing move to find uh, Pavel Mitchukov who's yeah. able to bury it. And so and think, that just that entire play overall from start to finish from face off to goal was just amazing uh in zone play overall. Yeah. Well, and th- yeah, and also Jackson Lacombe there like part of it too is that he keeps it and gets it over to Strom, but you see him follow the play. Like he doesn't just stay at the point. He he 
sees that there's an opening in yeah. the slot and and becomes a passing threat, becomes an option for Strom to give it back to him. Like, I think that's something that we just underrate so much is that these plays don't happen like by accident. Like guys have to get into those lanes, have to make themselves available. And both Lacombe and Mantukov did that beautifully on that play. And, yeah. you know, Honda Center was just rocking there. The, the eggplant and Jade looking great. It yep. was just it was just a feel good moment. It really was. And one thing I want to kind of mention here, and I'm curious for your thoughts about it was four and four, so a little bit of a different situation. Correct. But I wonder if we're starting to see the signs of maybe Jackson Lacombe switching to the right side eventually. Yeah. And being paired with Pavel Minchukov because the chemistry those two had in that shift was amazing. They didn't end up having to defend, so don't know necessarily how in zone would be with those two out there. But they've been out there, I think, at various different points in time together, and they don't look look at look bad at all, and they look like they could work as an overall pair. And I think the reason I bring that up is it opens up lanes in the future for an Olin Zellweger to be yeah. on this uh, in this group because not just this season, because who knows what they're going to do with uh, Ilya Labushkin because it would be Pat Verbeek really swallowing a pride pill if he ends up doing that now or being okay with that now of saying, I traded a fourth round pick for him and I'm just going to have to eat it at this point in time. And so who knows if they'll do that or not, but Zellweger already has three points in two games. So he may force his way onto this roster, but just looking at in the future, right. Of uh, Drysdale signed for three more years and has plenty of years after that. Fowler signed for multiple years. Gudis has three years on his deal. Zellweger is an NHLer. Like, I don't think there is any question about that, that even if he hits his floor, his floor is an NHL caliber defenseman. So where does he end up on this roster? And I think the yeah. only place that's readily available is if Jackson Lacombe switches to the right side in the near yeah. future. It's tough and to so say. They have a lot of lefties. They have a lot of lefties. And I mean, Tristan Leno is going to have to, like, we've talked about a bunch. There's too many defensemen in this group. Someone's going to have to get moved at some point in time. There's only six spots. Yeah. But I think just in the near future, Olin Zellweger is the one that you really need to think about the most. And I think Jackson Lacombe moving to the right side, being paired with Pavel Minchukov is really interesting after this shift. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, that was kind of like a broken play. So it's hard to say like, oh, it's, you know, because of the right and left. But I mean, it shows that it can work. Um, one other thing I want to point out here that is probably not talked about enough from this game. Well, one thing I want to quickly point out is just even on exits, you know, Frank Vetrano was doing stuff that I just like didn't see him do last season. Like at one point there was, a, he did a between the legs redirect one touch pass at his own blue line to spring McTavish. So it was, a, it was a breakout pass coming up from low in his own zone. He's standing at his own blue line and just facing away, like just one touches it between his legs to McTavish. Like I don't think I ever saw him make a play like that last season. And so whatever it is that they're preaching, whatever it is that they're doing, like it looks a lot better. But the Ducks had to kill a lot of penalties in this kind of stretch here. Yep. And one guy that I really want to highlight is Bo Grew. Because Bo Grew, you know, I've ragged on him a lot in the past. And like, I still don't, I'm not going to put him on this pedestal and say that he's about to become the next great shutdown center or anything like that. But I thought in this game, he showed a lot of, he showed a lot of growth. And he showed a lot of, of, of polish on the penalty kill. Like, he looked like yeah. a very solid penalty killer. Like, you know, the way that the Ducks are... The way the Ducks are playing on the penalty kill is very interesting. Like, the way I like to think about it is one guy is chasing the puck carrier. Whoever's nearest to the puck is chasing. 
and then the other guy is adjusting. So the other forward up top is adjusting off of that. So wherever the, the, he thinks the puck is going to go, he's shading towards that way while the defensemen stay low. And Gru was very aggressive, and he was doing it beautifully, like quick, quick feet, you know, good edge work, staying in that middle lane, aggressive stick. There was actually a point where he got a takeaway or he intercepted a pass and took it down all the way to the other end in, in Carolina territory and put on a little edge fake on the right wing to kind of mm-hmm. just get his man off him. He did it twice. And like all of that, it's just like it's these little layers to his game that just haven't really been there before. And I think you can kind of see the work he's put in on his body, but also like in the video room and, you know, on in skill sessions, like he just looks like a more polished player and a guy who could make an impact. And I thought he had some good moments at five on five as well. The numbers don't look quite as great there, but yeah. I just I'm encouraged by how he's looked so far, which I have. I have not said in in years past. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely going to be interesting what happens once guys get healthy. Which I mean, by the sounds of it, Carlson. Uh, so Carlson missed this past weekend. We haven't even mentioned that yet, or yeah. mentioned well, it in pe- passing. People know. People know yeah. he didn't play. <laughs> Season opening IR sounds like he could be available on Thursday. He is eligible to come off that, or I guess non roster. I mean, there's a whole lot of question marks I have for how he's actually yeah. designated. So not sure, but he is eligible to come off by for Thursday's game. That is a for sure. Um, and so if he comes off kind of what happens because they're sitting at the 23 man roster right now. And same thing with, uh, with Brock McGinn, like what's going to happen there when he comes off one, someone has to get sent down because they're at 23 man. And I think that is with, or 22 man, I think currently, so they can activate or have one of Carlson or McGinn come off without a change to the roster. Um, cause they currently have no healthy scratch forwards technically. Um, but I think Johnson's the easy one to just come out of the lineup. Yeah. I think he probably is the easy one to probably just put on waivers also um, Correct. And, and see what happens. So that's probably the first thing. I think when Kaloran comes back, maybe there's a different question mark of what happens there. It's going to get um, crowded. Yeah, it's going to get crowded quick. But to, to kind of wrap up your point, though, about the penalties, penalties were an issue in this game also. I yeah. think same type of deal. Nothing really to save plays. There was only really one that I thought was questionable with the, the Zegers holding the stick call. Yeah. Um, the rest I think were pretty much obvious calls to be honest. Uh, I thought the penalties in this game were worse than the first game. Yeah. I I'd say, I'd say the same, like yeah. worse from the team perspective. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't think that these were like more, they, they weren't as excusable as they were in the first game. Uh, I don't know. I think the, I think the first game, the fr- ones in the first game were worse. Cause I think they were just bad plays that That's are easily fair. fixable. That's I think fair. these, these weren't so much that, um, so yeah, I, I just, they took a lot of penalties in this game. They had to kill off a bunch of penalties. Same thing as, uh, last time, uh, they, what was it? I'm looking at it right now. There were five power plays. Um, even, even Jakob Silverberg looked good on the PK. Yeah, like, five like, five power plays for for Carolina, two penalty co- or two penalty kill goals against her power play goals against however you want to word it, and against Vegas, I think it was two also. And so, I mean, it's two straight games of allowing two power play goals against. And so, yeah, that I mean, that's just such such an easy thing to clean up because I don't yeah. think the penalty kill has really looked bad. But if you're taking penalties, you're gonna allow goals. It's just the way. It's just yeah. It's the odds. And you know, one thing that I will say is that. If you watch how the Ducks are defending right now and how aggressive they are along the wall and along the perimeter, everyone is throwing what I call legal cross checks. So it's that it's that cross check where you put you have your stick in a cross checking position, but you're not hitting the guy. You're just like pushing on him. You're just yeah. getting leverage, and they are doing that a lot. Like 
they are and Mason McTavish, there were points in this game in the third period where he was straight up just mauling dudes along the wall. And this was actually in the offensive zone. But I'm and I'm thinking that might that's something that I, I like that they're trying to set this tone of we're gonna be tough to play against, we're gonna be physical in our zone, but you gotta you gotta walk that fine line if you're gonna play that way. Cause you could end up being a very penalized team if that's how you if that's how you're gonna play it. That isn't really how they took their penalties, but I think that it could become an issue. And then, I mean, just to kind of cut ahead here, because there's not a whole lot left in this game. Yep. The fourth goal, because, I mean, it's the last, like, non-empty netter goal. Yep. Just great play from that that line, that McTavish line. You know, Ryan Strom getting in on the forecheck, winning a battle. Mason McTavish getting in there as well. And Strom getting it over to Vetrano in the slot, essentially. Just wires it far side. Beautiful shot. And, yep. you know, like... It just goes to show like we're talking about that line just being effective. And the other thing I wanted to highlight, just there were like two, I think there were at least two opportunities late in this game where Pavel Mintukov was just setting people up in the slot. Like he yeah. was just being so aggressive coming off the offensive yeah. blue line. He had Bo Grew in the slot. I for, He might have had Terry. I forget who it was, but he also had his own glorious scoring chance that, yeah, like, that I just think, a great save happened. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I think Machukov could have had like four points in this game. Yeah, like, like he was just everywhere and in a good way. Um, but yeah, and then the Ducks. Like I thought, the third period was definitely like the to be expected. The Canes are going to try to come back down four one, but the Ducks managed to survive. They got a little hairy at the end, but they get the two empty netters, and Frank Vitrano gets his hat trick, and everybody goes home happy. Yep. A few things I want to make mention of that we haven't talked about yet. Um, end of game. I think it was very telling the difference between Dallas Aikens Correct. and and Greg Cronin because end of the game, who was on the ice when the goalie got pulled? Zegris, uh, Terry, Henrique. Yeah, Zegris was taking late game faceoffs. Late game faceoffs, Zegris, Terry, Henrique on the ice when Carolina, it was still five on five, but they had pulled their goalie at that, or were about to pull their goalie. And, um, and they stayed, it wasn't like there was a change. That was an offensive zone. They did not, they were not forced off the ice. They were not forced to change anything like that. And Zegers was there when Fowler shot it at the empty net and scored. Yeah. Like that is such a stark difference for what we saw in the past of babying Trevor Zegers. Well, not having just, him out there for the faceoff, not having at, yeah. him out there for late game situations because you're protecting an offensive player. How are they going to win games in the playoffs in the future when they're defend when they're in those positions? Trevor Zegers should be playing a shit ton of minutes and he needs to learn. And the only way that you're going to learn how to do that is by having this type of experience against a top team in the NHL. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? If you're just never like, how are you going to learn if you never, ever do it? Right. Cause Dallas Aikens flat out just didn't trust these guys to do it. And especially in a lost season, it makes even less sense. And so to see, Greg Cronin giving them just those kind of basic responsibilities early. I think it just empowers players to to actually want to own that role. And one other note on that third period that I think is worth mentioning is the fact that, yes, this was a, a period where the, the Hurricanes roared back, as you would expect, down multiple goals. They have to turn it on. But I didn't think that the Ducks went that far into the turtle shell. Like I think that no. they, they definitely had some sitting back. But again, a lot of the chances, and part of this is the way the Hurricanes play, but yeah. a lot of the chances were from the outside. They didn't give up egregious scoring chances against. Yes, of course, the Hurricanes got scoring chances in that period, but there was nothing really that egregious to me, and it just it didn't feel like those classic 
you know, turtle games that we've seen in the past. And, you know, maybe I'm being too positive, too, too kind of like orange colored glasses here, but that's just what it looked like. That's, that's what I saw. Yeah. And I, I think that I, I completely agree. And I think the only times where they really did look like they were getting shelled were penalty kills. Yeah. And which, that's what happens. That That's what happens. Um, I think overall, a couple other things I really want to touch on uh, before we start getting to some questions here is that um, I think Lucas Dostal looked really, really good. He looked I think solid. The, the second goal was a little bit of a soft goal. Um, Are you talking about the Tara Vinen goal? Yeah, the Tara Vinen floater from the point where he got oh. a little bit screened. But, but it, it w- I think it hit something. No, it didn't. It didn't? Okay. It, I couldn't it, tell because the one angle that they had on it, there was like a guy in the middle of a shot. So I couldn't yeah. tell. Okay. Yeah, I it, it didn't hit anything. It just kind of floated in. I think he just got screened by Lacombe, but I, th- I thought it hit Lacombe because Lacombe looked I, at him after. Like I thought so also, but if you watch it, it his stick's nowhere near it. His body is nowhere near it when weird. it passes him. So it was just a weird floater of a goal that he needs to make that save on, just that plain and simple. Um and so he needs to make that save. Outside of that, I think it was fantastic. I think Gibson, same deal. Uh, needs to do a little bit more on that two-on-one. Not saying he has to save it, but he should try to read that a bit better. And so if you look at kind of expected goal metrics, both were about at expectation. Which is over fine. These two games, which is fine. I'd say Gibson, you want to see more than that with how much he's getting paid, but even at expectation, that is better than the, where he was two seasons ago. Yeah, like the Ducks don't need... I personally, and this is like maybe a hot take to some, especially if you listen to the Third Two Thoughts podcast today, but... I don't think the Ducks need heroic goaltending this season to like be to, to have a, a season that they feel good about. I think that they just need okay goaltending because I don't think that this team is going to get shelled like it did in years past. Yeah. So as and long then, as those guys are just solid enough. Sorry. Uh, two more points. Things just keep popping in my head that I want to discuss before uh-huh. we get to these questions. Um, shout out to Derek who posted on the Derek. Go follow Derek Lee. Um who posted on the Sporting Tribune uh, YouTube account and go check it out. Greg Cronin's post-game availability. Um, with questions. With questions. And <laughs> one thing that really, really sticks out for me is just how much he is thinking about the process. Yep. Like, even throughout that game, he mentioned that he was thinking about the good things that they were doing, getting pucks off the boards, getting pucks on the forecheck, cycling, taking the game to the Hurricanes, and his reaction wasn't about how do we keep doing this to win. It was these are really these are things that me and my staff are going to really be able to sink our teeth into to have yep. re- teach these to be repeatable moments. Well, and you, it you is saw... so er, yeah, it is so focused on the process, which is what you want because if the process gets right and he's able to really ke- uh, teach these moments and make them inherent and make them just natural movements, natural things for his team. The results follow. The results Correct. won't always follow if the process is not right. You can somehow go against the odds, have some good results if your process is crap. We've seen that in the past at various different times. But it's not going to be repeatable. If your process is right, eventually those results will follow and they'll follow in spades. And you have a higher baseline too. Like you're you're just guaranteeing a better average performance for yourself but yeah i mean you you saw it before the game like the broadcast randomly had the camera in the ducks locker room before the game with cronin talking to the team yeah like, i don't know if that was a mistake or something but like he was on the whiteboard you know like that was basically a speech was like whiteboarding and we didn't see the whole thing but he is so dialed in on the x's and o's right now and i feel like that's just who he is like i don't you know part of it is yes they are installing the system 
They're trying to get the players all on the same page. But part of it, too, is I just think that that's how he thinks. He does not... When you listen to him talk about the game, like in that interview that Derek posted, it always comes back to, like you said, the process. It always comes back to, okay, what was the play there? What was that little detail, that little wrinkle? There's not a lot of narrative fluff. There's not a lot of, oh, well, we just, you know, weren't hard enough or we weren't, uh, pause, but we weren't, you know, like uh, hungry enough or whatever. It was just, it's refreshing to hear a guy just looking at the game for what it is and seeing where the possible advantages are and where the areas of growth are. Like that's, that's what you need to move forward. And I think that that's like Greg Cronin, it's very early, but the returns yeah. look good thus far. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess, maybe the one calming thing I'll add to all of this. It's two games. These these need results need to continue. The, or the process that they're showing needs to continue. Yeah. And, and but, the style is a taxing style, too. Like, it's going to be, they have to really keep it up. Yes. And so they're going to have to keep it up. Keep it up. They're going to have some, have to have um, a lot of high conditioning, high level of buy-in for this type of system to work. Correct. And the early returns are great, but... It, this is against Vegas. This is against Carolina. These are two teams that are fantastic, but also that makes it a little bit easier to get up for. One question how, I have for you. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. How I, is, how is this going to be in Arizona on Saturday, in a different environment? Right. Well, da- Dallas on Thursday. I think there, Dallas is also, I think, a team that's easier to get up for because they yeah, are a better fair. team. Well, Arizona's. I mean, they're not pushovers anymore. Um, also, the Ducks just like randomly hate the Coyotes. Actually, it's not that random because they have history. But two questions I have for you, and then we can get into listener questions. I had one more thing, but go for it. Oh, well, do your thing. Okay. Uh, I just want to say the idea that's been perpetuated on 32 Thoughts is annoying and frustrating. That So you're perpetuating that, it further. You realize that. No, I am just shouting it down or to okay. Ducks fans out there that this idea that Pat Verbeek wants the Ducks to be bad, that he would... And granted, this was a joke from Freedom American, completely was. But go put sleeping pills in the teams, uh, or go in their teams' uh, water between the second and third intermission, so that they could still lose that game. Yeah, it's just completely out of touch with the Ducks organization and everything that they've said. All of the actions that the team has taken, also, yeah, run counter to that. And it's so everything they've done. It just it feels like it's this national media narrative built around this Ducks team that they are trying to be bad. Um, and that is just f- could not be further from the truth. I think Correct. if they're bad, then it's not going to be the worst thing in the world from management's perspective. But they are not actively trying to be horrible. You don't go sign Radko Gudis. You don't go sign Alex Kalorn. You don't go sign Ryan Strom. You go, don't go sign Frank Vitrano. Uh you don't do you don't go and get a guy like Greg Cronin and do all of these things if you are trying to be bad. Correct. I agree with that. That's good pushback. Two questions I have for you. Okay. Um Jamie Drysdale. I mean, yeah. this is the first we've seen him play mm-hmm. in a real NHL game. Actually, in any NHL game because we didn't get to see the preseason game in a year. I mean, your thoughts on Jamie Drysdale? I think he looked good. I think he looked really strong. I think it was really noticeable how much he was trying to engage in board battles yeah. and how he was winning those board battles. He was he was doing those legal cross checks I was talking about quite 100%, a One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And I it just it was really noticeable how he was trying to do that. I think the thing that I think I noticed more, and I don't know if this is uh lack of play or maybe I just forgot, his skating stride isn't as smooth as I necessarily remembered. It's it got being. a little roadrunner element to it. It's got like a gallop to it. 
Yeah. If that makes sense. And I don't know if I just forgot about that or if that or if that's maybe just him getting his legs back under him during games. No, I think that's always how he skated, okay. but he, he's still a great skater. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then the other question, I mean, I, I will echo that. I think that he looked good, good enough. Like there's definitely some things that I have questions about, especially him on the power play. Yes. I just don't love him on the power plates so far. Like I just part of it is it could just be what they're asking him to do. Like, especially on the power play breakout, like he's just kind of going one man against the world, getting it all the way to the far blue and just kind of like, all right, well, let's figure it out once I get there. And, you know, with the first unit, they're doing that like double drop before getting into the zone. And like the second power play unit just like doesn't do that. So confusing. Um, but also just like the feel, like I just sometimes the offensive feel hasn't been there, but I don't want to judge him because it's it's so early. And then the other guy I want to talk about, another right-handed defenseman, Ilya Lubushkin, the the much-heralded Kex yeah. acquisition. My opinion is this. Let's see if you share it. I think he's looked fine in the first two games. Like he's I just, think he, he, he's a third, he's an average third pairing defenseman to me. I think he looked better in the Carolina Hurricanes game. I think a part of that is he was not, uh, I think pressured as heavily because I think of the the way the Hurricanes play is a little bit different than yeah. the way Vegas was playing. Uh, or I guess maybe he wasn't given as much time and space because I think the opposite actually of Carolina being tougher on guys getting on them quicker. But that opens up more guys to get to the puck. I think against Vegas, his ability to move the puck with space was really exposed. There was one play that just sticks out in my head like a sore thumb where he has the puck, is going around the net, has a guy that he could make a backhand pass to along the boards that would lead to a breakout. Instead, he turns around on the pressure, goes back the other way. The guy's on his hip. He proceeds to rim it up the boards where there is no duck player and Vegas is just there to get it. And it proceeds to lead to multiple minutes uh, of extended defensive zone time. And so I think from the perspective of, I think he's not good as a puck mover. I think it's going to really hamper and limit this team. And I think if you can find a way to modify things around and get uh, Lacombe on the right side and Zellweger up. I think the defense overall looks better as a result of that. I am curious what's going to happen with Tristan or Tristan. Try to do that uh, correctly. Leno, um, because I don't really see why he would be up if he's not going to play a game. I think he plays Thursday. And Labushkin sits. I mean, uh, who else is going to sit? Yeah. Gudis and Drysdale aren't sitting. Matukov just, you know, had a great game, scored a goal. Like, well, you're not going to put him in for a left-hand shot defenseman. Yeah, so I think I think Luno comes in for Labushkin. Could be wrong about that because then the then the trouble is like, well, how do you how do you delineate the pairings at that point? You know, like I could see a scenario where both Vakanainen and, and Luno come in for for that third pairing. Maybe I think Le, I think you could do Luno and Lacombe together. I think Lacombe is solid and steady enough. Where Lacombe, you can Luno, and then Mantukov, Gudis. Gudis, yeah, yeah. Okay, that that works for me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of all I've got on this game. You know, fun weekend. Good to see real hockey back. And I'm just now seeing this picture on the Ducks Instagram of the Troy Terry and the guys meeting the, yeah. the Monday Night Football broadcasters. Why did they give them that jersey? Give them the 30th anniversary jersey. Come it's on. because they don't have any of the 30th anniversary jerseys to give out. <laughs> oh man. I it's because you're... like you're not. They don't have any. They have sur- the ones for the players, and that's it. I'm surprised they didn't give them the orange jersey, seeing as they've been handing that one out like candy. That is true. Uh, yeah, Chuck Liddell had it last night. Yeah, 
Yeah, Chuck yeah. Liddell had it. Like they they've given it to other guests like recently, so I don't I don't yeah. know. But Drew anyway. Brees. Yeah, Drew Brees had it. His whole family had it. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, we should, we should probably right. get into questions. We should, we should get into questions. We're going to probably blitz through these, try to go as quick as we can. So we've got some questions uh, in our Discord. We'll start there. Go to patreon.com slash crash the pond. Um, and you can uh, support us there. If you get if you do it at the dollar tier, you get access to the Discord. You can get questions in here quick. We'll get to them right away. Uh, DeFrancy said, are the goals going to be more fun to watch than the Ducks this year? Uh, I don't think so. No. I, I mean, they're both going to be fun, but the Ducks are going to be a fun team to watch. Well, especially the forward talent. The Ducks have way more exciting forwards. Yep. So shaking wing said, known the mental, uh, the mentality of wanting left and right hand, uh, uh defense or handed defenseman no, uh, for no unbalanced D lines. Wouldn't it be more possible the ducks trade of one of Zellweger and Minchukov over Leno? I mean, the thing with Leno on the right side is you have Gouda signed for three more years and you have Drysdale also in the system and you have Ian Moore and you have Drew Hellison, right? Well, like. I think it's just a matter of like, yes, you know, handedness matters, but talent matters more. Like you're not trading one of Zellweger and Tukov if you think they're the best players just because they're both lefties and keeping yeah. Leno. Like that's yes. just, like at a certain point, you, you don't want to like, you know, what's the penny wise pound foolish. Like you don't want to get to that point with this situation. Yep. Shaking Wing said, uh, thoughts on John Oller's beard. <laughs> that's Shave why I was laughing. Shave it to a goatee. Shave just that thing. Go- Go to a goatee. Allers looks good with a goatee. That little chin strap beard that goes with it does not look good right it's now. Not it. Uh, uh, Root said, "Is Ilya Labushkin this year's Dmitry Kulikov?" I think Kulikov was better than Labushkin. Man, you're 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 way too harsh on on Ilya. It's two okay. games. I think he's okay. been fine. All right. I mean, fine. Kulikov wasn't good last year either. Fair. Uh, uh, Root said, "Is Vitrano McTavish Strom the perfect third line?" Uh, I mean, yeah, if that's your third line, you're, you're doing well, but I, right now it's their second line. So, uh, Tussle said, how do we feel about Johnston? Uh, and said, Nick Ritchie is still a UFA with a winky face. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think he's been bad. I just don't think he really adds anything out there. Like oh, he's I just think- kind he's just kind of a big body who throws his weight around. By the way, he won, he already has won the Nick Deloria award of checking the glass. <laughs> like he literally threw his body. <laughs> In, into a, a, a defenseman on the Hurricanes, completely missed and like laid himself out by hitting the glass. I think I have a timestamp. Maybe I'll get it out there. But it's it's pretty hilarious if you want to go it, back and watch it. It is. Uh, I think Ross Johnson has been bad. I think he does not <laughs> add any value. I think any if you think he's a deterrent, it didn't stop. Uh, 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 what's his first name? Lemieux. Why am I? I Brendan keep thinking Lemieux. Claude. Brendan Lemieux. There we go. It yeah. didn't stop Brendan Lemieux from trying to uh, get him in Chukov's face at the end of the period. He didn't do anything about it as the game went on. He he's just. I not don't know good. if he's better than Zach Cassian. I don't know if he's better than to, Cassian to either. The comment from DB Lowry here. I, I I really don't. He cannot handle a puck. Well, like he's just, in, he's with just any so space slow. or pr- with any pressure or anything like that, he cannot handle a puck. Had probably one of the slowest two on ones, which. To his credit, made a nice pass across. Yeah, I don't know if I've scored. ever. I don't know if I've ever seen a two-on-one develop that slowly though. Uh, overall, yeah. it was hilarious to watch. Uh, I don't think he's going to be on this team very long. I think he's the easy out once guys get healthy. We'll see. Yep. Jack Jane said, "Is this the last losing season in the Ducks rebuild?" I mean, is it even going to be a losing season? <laughs> I mean, trying to take the goggles off of these first two games momentarily. I will say yes, though. 
assuming that this is even a losing season. That's I think I think they could they're probably going to be right around 500. So I think this will be the the last season of them being in that range. Sure. Let's go with that. Chubbs Peterson said, do you see Connor Garland as a fit? I think it would make a great third line right wing to pair with Zegers and Henrique. Roll three great lines and move Silverberg to the press box. Um, I don't really, I don't think so. Like just his age, I'm assuming, does he have a contract? That's what I'm looking at right now. He's making $6 million, or sorry, he's making 4.9. It was 6 mil was base salary and has two more years after this one on it. I mean, it's not terrible. I mean, it would align with kind of like contracts coming up. So it's not horrible from that perspective. I just don't think it's necessarily worth um, giving up assets, spending assets for for one and two, giving up or taking on the cap hit over that period of time. I'd rather like the Ducks are not don't have like a a huge amount of cap space anymore. Like they still have cap space, but it's only let me see eight million. It's not like twenty million anymore. No, it's it's eight point one eight three million. So, are you going to use that on a Connor Garland, or would you rather save that for a, the right player to pop up? Take and take so, a bigger swing than Connor Garland is what I would yeah. say. Uh, sh- uh, let's see. Uh, Root said we can finally have nice things. Yes, we can. The Puff said, "What would your lines look like if we had everyone healthy and the kids were all playing center? Zegers, McTavish, and Carlson. That is. Ooh. So, so yeah." I think Zegers and Terry are together. Yeah. Zegers, Terry, Henrik. Working with the information we have from the weekend, I think you keep Vitranos, McTavish, Strom together. Yeah. What do you put with Carlson, though? I feel like you kind of leave him on an island there. Yeah, you kind of do. This is why I kind of don't mind Zegers on the wing. Yeah, that's why I don't mind it either. I mean, let me think about this. Like Leeson? Leeson, Carlson. I mean, I kind of... This is out there. I think you kind of maybe look at calling up a Jacob Perot if he continues playing yeah. well in San Diego just to give you some offensive talent, offensive like, threat. Are you really going to put Leo Carlson with, like, all due respect to Brett Leeson, but Brett Leeson and Max Jones? Like, well, I mean, to be fair, very appealing. Adam, Henry, who's going to be with Zegers and Terry? Kalorn? That's true. Kalorn is there. So that pushes. Henrique Col- maybe down to the third line. So you have maybe you do Henrique Carlson Perot. Yeah, I mean that's I would rather see Carlson with like Terry Same. or Segris personally. Same. But and yeah, so, but that's what it would look like. It would yeah. probably be Henrique Carlson, let's go with Jones. Let, let's go with Leeson. And sure. then uh Carrick Lundestrom. Yeah. And who's the final? I don't know. Just Jones. Leave, leave both Jones. on the team. Jones, Grew, whoever. Yeah. yeah I, I think the way it's set up, it's maybe a little bit better to yeah, keep Carlson with Zegers and Terry. I was I was used to be of the opinion go three lines, but I think after see I think seeing those three together really I think convinced me otherwise. The problem is otherwise. the winger depth to me. Like you can't really make three great lines. If, the if other they're... the other the issue with doing that though is Kalorn is now on a third line with uh I'm trying to think about who would be centering that line even. Henrique? Yeah, Kalorn, Henrique, and Leeson, or whoever on the other side. Or Silverberg. I forgot Silverberg. Probably Silverberg. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so. I think Kalorn's going to play in the top six. I think McTavish is going to play with with uh, Alex Kalorn. I mean, I think maybe you do Kalorn, you do Kalorn, McTavish, Strom, and then you have Vitrano, yeah. Henrique. I think um, I think Vitrano is a third liner once they're all healthy. 
which yeah. is fine. Like, yeah, it's it's not a bad thing. So, yeah, I I mean, these are good questions. Good, good, uh, good difficult decisions to, to make. Yes. Yep. Correct. Uh, let's see. Shake and Wink said, why is the plum jersey so much better? It's not plum. It's eggplant. Well, he wrote and plump. He did say plump, but I'm interpreting <laughs> there. Uh, it's just the colors are just so much more unique. They're fun. Like the they orange rep- is fu- the orange is fun too. But orange is yeah. fun. I think the orange is a third eggplant and jade for home and away. That's ideal. Yeah. Uh, D Rock says, when does uh, Tristan Leno play, if at all? I'll go Thursday. Yeah, I think I think he gets in. Like, are you really going to leave him on the shelf for you know three plus games? It seems like now yeah. is the now is a good time to get him in. Maddie said, who is the best candidate for a breakout season? Ooh, well, I think Tavish offensively. I'll go with that. Yeah, because he would he would count as a true breakout. I mean, Jackson yeah. Lacombe, I don't know if that really counts because it's first season, but I'll go Jackson I mean, Lacombe. Ryan Strom, I think if he continues this, like that could yeah, like well, bre- think, it's not a breakout necessarily. Yeah. It's, it's, like it's a, bounce a bounce back. back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, our good friend JC said, "How impressed were you guys uh, by the play of Jackson Lacombe over the weekend?" Very. Yeah. Same. All right, we gotta go. We have a lot of questions here. Yeah. We'll we'll go quick here. Uh, if Johnson and Carrick go when Kalorn and Leo come back, who gets the boot when Lundestrom returns? Man, uh, I can't even get my head around that at this point in time. We just kind of covered it, so go off yeah. of that. All right. Lactic said, for Jake, start one, bench one, trade one. Minchukov, Lacombe, Zellweger. And then for Felix, start Oof. one, bench one, trade one. Carlson, McTavish, Segris. All right. Start one. Oh, sh- Minchukov, bench. <sighs> who are you going to pick? Bench Lacombe, trade Zellweger, because I think Zellweger has the most value. Wow. I would I would have damn. Okay. You actually did something that I different than I would have done. Um okay, for me, start Carlson. <sighs> bench Trevor Zegris and trade Mason McTavish. That's probably the right decision. I, I think just, Mason McTavish is gonna have a big season, but I think Carlson and him maybe get a little yeah. overlappy there. Where yeah. you can also Z- Zegers bring something different than both those. I guys. want to see the Zegers thing work out in Anaheim. Doom Krauser said, What are the odds of McTavish being the highest scoring duck this season? Twenty uh, percent? Yeah, like twenty five percent. Yeah. Um Duck Shagernet said, What is your current strategy proceeding with get John Gibson? Let him start games to try to build trade value, make him back up and accept that moving him gets you nothing significant at this point, or take a different approach. I think fifty fifty one- split. Yeah, just one A one B. Just keep yeah. him fresh. Play yeah. every other game. I think, yeah. what was it, Vegas did that or Minnesota did Some teams done that, did that recently. Um, it works. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Ryan said, can somebody buy me a specific sweater from the Duck Store that I can't? Oh, uh, bring that up in, in our general chat, Ryan, if you're listening to this. Yeah. Uh, so Mitch Brown's beloved said, how would you feel about a blue line consisting of Fowler, uh, Drysdale, Zellweger, Gudas, Minchukov, Lacombe? Fantastic. Looks good. Yep. Uh, Hopako said it's 2025, 2026. Who are the starting six forwards for D one goalie? Uh, man, I don't save know. that question. Hopako Hunt. let, let we'll do that Patreon. on a Patreon episode. Yeah. Solani sandwich said DFO, uh, was adamant that the Habs were going to smoke the ducks in the standing. What are your thoughts? Not happening. Yeah. Well now Curry doc is out for the season, which yeah. is just brutal, but I wouldn't have bet on that regardless. Like, no. Yep. Brad said, if it, uh, as some project Luno may end up playing only eight games, wouldn't his development be better served by being sent out? Uh, yeah, probably. I would agree with that. I think a couple games won't hurt him. I don't think this will yeah. impact his development one way or the other. 
Uh, Lactic said, for Jake and Felix, what would your goal song be? We didn't even talk about that. Damn it. Individual player goal songs com- coming in after Brohim. Nice touch. Nice little change. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brohim. Overplayed. Yeah. What would your goal song be? I don't know. Probably probably some kind of like Love Shack remix. I, think I would have St. Lucia. Uh, was it All Eyes on You? All Eyes on Me? I'm spacing on the, the me or you part of that. Uh, but I would have St. Lucia, that song. I don't know why. Mike is going to kill me, honestly, for not knowing it off the top of my head. Uh, all Eyes on You. There we go. I would do All Eyes on You by St. Lucia. Just okay. let people vibe. Uh, Plant Ranch said, what's the biggest overreaction so far you think has a kernel of truth to it? Uh, Gibson doesn't look great. Yeah. Uh, Turtle Committee rules expert. It's January and the Ducks are playing consistently good hockey, but it's clear they need a top six forward to make a run at the playoffs. Who are your untouchables when making this move? Seagrass, McTavish, Carlson. Yep. Like it, up in terms of forwards and back end, like I'm not really trading Zellweger Mintukov or any of those guys this season. It's just nope. too early for that. Off-season move if you're going to do that. Uh, let's see. Kenan Deal says, The two games to start off the season felt very different while playing two teams that lead their division last or led the division last year. Do we expect more games like Vegas, contained and sometimes shaky, or Carolina, high-tempo and entertaining? If the Ducks can average more games like Hurricanes than the Golden Knights, what would you expect our record to be at the end? I mean, I think part of it is those two teams are very different in style. Like, yes. you know, Vegas is very, like, probing always looking to attack the middle. They keep everything out of their middle in Carolina. I mean, Cronin kind of talked about it, but they're more of that high tempo, like Ken and Deal is saying here. So I think it's, you can't really extrapolate from either because those are such specific matchups. But I think if you take the totality of those two games, they played to the matchup pretty well. At five just, on five, they were, just, they held stylistically. Yeah. So, I mean, if they can keep that up, like this could maybe be a 500 team. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Roach said, will Chelix now be a contri- uh, I don't know what, uh, oh, contributing a dollar every time he says the P word, plum. So every plum. time you say plum, no, plum. just, just, just stop. Plum, All right. Plum, plum. All right. We're going to probably just do a couple of questions from Twitch and YouTube just so we can get on out of here and not make this extremely lengthy. But if you're in tw- on, in the Twitch chat or YouTube chat, please put your questions in the chat. And I know I had some from Twitter apologies we will get to them or do you want to do them quickly felix i will leave that up to you uh let's let's try to get out of here all right uh so quick we'll do maybe a couple minutes of questions to throw your questions in if you're listening on your favorite podcast services uh you can find us at twitch.tv slash crash pond where if you have amazon prime you get one free free twitch prime gaming subscription every month you do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days you can be just like chicken taco salad Ducks Jaggernaut, Dan Grimshaw, and Literical, all of whom supported us. And we are so, so thankful to all of you. Or if you want to go to YouTube and you have, we know everyone here has a YouTube account. Go to youtube.com slash crash pond. We now have memberships similar to Twitch. You can become a member there. There is no Amazon Prime, but the benefit of supporting us there, if you do want to pay for it, we do get more of a cut from that. And so it does help support us. And it's a quick way to support us. Or you can submit a super chat on there uh, and pay give us a little bit of a tip that way. So we got this question. Uh, Vixler said, how many wins do the Ducks need for Cronin to win the Jack Adams award? They need to make the playoffs. Yeah. It's that playoffs. simple. Playoffs. playoffs. Yeah. Um, let's see. Duck Shackernut said, why is the power play uh, still such a struggle? I want to push back on that slightly. Like, I think that especially the first power play unit yesterday, um, I think it was Strom, Fowler, Zegris, McTavish. And I'm blanking on who the other forward was. might've been Terry, but 
they showed some good things in terms of the breakout and zone entries. You know, they, they couldn't quite get set up, but we got to think about the power play, not just in terms of how you look when you're set up, but how you get to that setup. And I thought that they did some interesting things in the breakout, but yeah, power play two looks pretty rough. <laughs> like, thankfully it's power play two, so you don't need to worry about it, but they... When guys get back, it will change. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it too much, though. Yeah. Tyrone Lamoureux said, uh, who do you like more, Minchikov or rookie Sammy Vatanen? I think early returns, Pavel Minchikov. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, um, Sammy. All right. Lewis X209 said, ankles and feet shouldn't, should, shouldn't be shown in public. Discuss. You're wrong. Sandals the, are great. Let the dogs out. Let the dogs out. Show your ankles. Go sockless in shoes. Do whatever you want. Uh, <laughs> all right. I don't see any more questions, so I'm going to hit you with these couple of shit show questions that we had. Terry saved us. Will Felix personally carpool members of the CTP Discord uh, to Chick-fil-A next time we score five goals? You coming down here and driving me to Chick-fil-A? Yeah, that would be a long-ass drive. So yeah. if you buy, if you pay for my Chick-fil-A, then sure. You can have my free sandwich. How about that? B- buy, buy me some Chick-fil-A and I'll consider it. Plant Ranch said, which is a better fruit, plum or eggplants? I'm just going eggplants just because of the color. I mean, they're completely different. I don't even think you can compare those. No. Like plum no. is sweet, eggplant is not sweet. All so. right. Let's all right. We have two questions that we'll end on. They're quick hitting and it's easy answers. And then we're out of here. Uh, DB Lowry 3507 said, Who had the best glove save over the weekend? Gibson, Dostal, or Fowler? Fowler. Yeah. And yeah. Jake M said, Better first goal, McTavish or Minchukov? Minchukov. Oh, or Minchukov. Man. I keep saying it's going back and forth. How I'm saying it. At Minchikov. least you're not saying the way Mint- that Minchukov, the way that he is saying it. Oh, he who so shall bad. not be named. It's so bad. We've already named him this episode, but. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm giving him the Chase DeLeo treatment. Um, as you mentioned, his name as, also. As I mentioned, 69. Um, is he wearing that number, by the way, down there? He's not down there. He's hurt. He's still oh. up with the Ducks. He was in oh. the locker room when they got off the ice. Oh, that's who that was. I was trying to figure out who that short guy was <laughs> tweeting through the pain. Well, I'm going to exit on exit from the pain. So if you enjoyed today's podcast and you want to help support us, uh, there's a few really easy ways for you to do that. Um, First and foremost, check out our Patreon community. This is honestly like the bedrock of what we do here. And it's a great way for you to get bonus content. For $1 a month, you get access to our patrons-only Discord server, uh, a really thriving community of diehard Ducks fans. We are putting a lot of care into that to make sure it's a great experience for everyone. And I really do recommend it, especially in this age of unreliable social media. That's for $1. And then for $5 a month, you get access to two bonus podcasts. And we had a really fun episode this last month. We well, we did two episodes, one with our uh, preseason predictions for the rest of the NHL, and we did the CTP draft. Uh, there are stakes attached to that, by the way. So go check that out, patreon.com slash crash the pond. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And thankfully this week, people came through and left us new reviews, but we always really appreciate those. Just search crash the pond, it takes two minutes, but it does go a really long way. And we just appreciate hearing from you guys. Um, this review here comes from Sky Mason. The title of the review, five stars, great pod, says amazing pod, and there's so much fun on Twitter. Give them a follow. Thank you, Sky Mason. Um, I don't know how many people would agree with that Twitter sentiment, but I'm glad you do. I'm glad you're here. And if you want to be like Sky Mason, have your review read on the show, just go ahead and leave that there. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify. Leave us some feedback there. We greatly appreciate it. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, like Jake talked about. We go live there. you know, we may do some more fun things there, but we've got film breakdowns of different players in the Ducks, different prospects, different games. We've got clips uh, from the podcast. So you can get bite-sized snippets from the show. Uh, check out our website, crashthepond.com. We've got a little shop there. So if you want some additional merch, 
We've got you covered. Check out Derek Lee's uh, YouTube. Or no, check out the Sporting Tribune YouTube. YouTube. I'm, I'm getting my plugs mis- mixed up. I'm, I'm plugging away here. And then follow Jake on X at Reindeer Games 91 oh, Follow stop. me on X. Stop. <laughs> um, I'm trying to get canceled for a different reason. That's what I'm doing here. Um, and, and on that note, thank you for listening, everyone. Super stoked that hockey is back. Thrilled to be back with you guys for, I think it's like our eighth year sixth seventh eighth i don't know we, 17 18 was the first season our first podcast was like in late 2017 yeah so this would be our sixth season so it's been a journey glad you guys are along for the ride we'll talk to you next week hot pockets our calzones bye who's kind of-